0: Worship you and praise you alone, Lord. Through song, through the study of your word. This sermon will be a, a bit, a tad bit awkward to give, uh, and the reason is uh, is because it is at least partly about what good pastors look like, and so that feels a little weird to me uh, to stand up here and preach that to you. And so let me just get this out of the way right away. Uh, I am not standing up here acting like I do all of the things uh, that Paul is about to describe. Okay, I don't do that, Uh, but by grace I am striving for it, all right, Uh, and this passage truly is a great help to me. Uh, But I also think this passage will be greatly helpful for you too, I really do think that. Uh, As Paul is not only talking about what good pastors should look like, uh, but really anyone doing any kind of ministry whatsoever, um, really they should look like this too, okay, And, and that should include every Christian in the room tonight. So I do think this will be greatly beneficial uh, to you guys also. Let's check it out together. This is Galatians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 10 through 20. Galatians chapter 4, 10 through 20. Um, If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. The the scriptures will be on the screen, and also the scripture will be at ljc.life in the sermon notes. Okay, verse 10. This is the apostle Paul speaking. He says, "Uh, You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your precious words here. We know that these words are living and active. And so we pray tonight that your spirit will cause these words to fall on good ground, that the, the eyes of our hearts would be opened to see the beauty of these words and the beauty of your Son, whom we are so grateful for, Father. Father, we do everything, absolutely everything here tonight because of and for your son. We are so grateful. We just pray that in humility you might allow us to give him the honor and glory and praise that he deserves. And let him be with us tonight so that he might change us from the inside out. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so Paul here is saying that ministers of the gospel should be marked by at least two things. At least two things. Number one, a radical character. And number two, a radical love. Radical character and radical love. Number one, radical character. Let's look at verse 12 together. Verse 12. Paul says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, For I became like you. This is a profound verse. It's profound. What what does Paul mean that he became like the Galatians? What's he talking about? Well, it means that he had no personal agenda to accomplish with them. None. Paul was adaptable, he was flexible, his ministry revolved around their needs around their questions around their struggles this is a mark of a great minister of the gospel an interesting thing about this verse is that it's right smack dab in the middle of galatians which just so happens to be a book where paul is absolutely laser focused and not flexible or adaptable at all on one thing the gospel the gospel For Paul, the truth of the gospel is absolutely concrete. Absolutely concrete. And that is the truth that we are justified before God only by faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins. That in a nutshell is the gospel. And this is not something Paul is willing to give even an inch on, not a centimeter. The gospel is what the gospel is. He's very hardcore about it. But how he uses that gospel to minister to others depends on who he's ministering to. He puts it like this in First Corinthians chapter nine, verses twenty through twenty-two. That's what he says. He says, "To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law." To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those who do not have the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. So here's what Paul is teaching us a minister who truly understands the gospel, who really gets it, he will not make mountains out of molehills. He will have no personal agenda to accomplish. He will major on the majors and he will minor on the minors. He doesn't sweat the details. You see, the gospel made Paul fully secure in who he was, in his identity. So, He was free to come to the people of Galatia and listen and learn and adapt. This has been a problem with American missionaries for many years now. They go to other countries as the great white hope. And they look to impress onto other nations and other cultures the American way of doing church. And as you can imagine, this has been largely ineffective. Thankfully, though, in recent decades, things have changed. The strategy has shifted now to where missionaries are moving to foreign countries, and they're spending lots of time doing what Jesus did and what Paul did. And that's listening to the people, learning the people, loving the people, with no agenda other than to further the gospel. And as you can imagine, that's been far more effective, <laughs> far more effective. This is such an important lesson here from Paul. But it's not the only lesson he gives us. Look, he says, he says that because he became like the Galatians, that the Galatians should become like him. Now, this is striking. Who even talks like this? <laughs> right? Who even talks like this? This is pretty amazing stuff from Paul. Here's what I mean. We've all heard people say, you should become like me. We've heard people, you know, on, the, uh, on TV and social media and um, maybe even some televangelists and pastors, you, you've probably heard them say, you guys should be like me. Uh, and these are people who do seem to have at least some parts of life figured out. And if you'll just do what they do and say what they say, then you'll figure life out too. Life will go well for you. Uh, and these people are strong but often are not approachable. Their heads are usually pretty puffed up. And you will rarely hear people say, or hear these people say, I will become like you. No, you should become like me. That's what you'll hear them say. But also, we've all known super humble and relaxed people who would have no problem saying, I will become like you. No problem saying, I will become like you. No problem. These people are fun to be around most of the time because they're flexible and adaptable. They just kind of go with the flow. Um, they, uh, uh, they're usually very humble and, and very approachable. But you will rarely hear people like that be so presumptuous, presumptuous as to say, you should be like me. Very rarely will you hear someone like that say those words. You should be like me. So do you see how radical Paul is? See how radical this is? Paul is a combination of both. He's a combination of both. He is radically bold and yet radically humble too. At the same time. Someone who is fully adaptable and relaxed around you, but who also is not afraid to call you to more. So here's two important points that Paul shows us. Number one, you need Christians around you who are like this. You really do. People like this will change your life. They will change your life. And number two, you need to be becoming Christians who are like this. You can make a truly profound impact in this world if you share these character traits. But then the obvious question becomes, how in the world can you and I become? a person with these character traits? How can we be both strong and approachable? You know, usually when we're kicking butt at life, things are going well, we're living up to our standards, we will be bold and confident, but not humble and understanding. And when we're failing at life, things aren't going so well, we're not living up to our standards. It's very easy to be humble and understanding, uh, but we will not be very bold and confident. So, how do we combine these qualities? There's only one way. There's only one way to combine the two. We must ask ourselves this question over and over and over again throughout our lives. And the question is this. Do I believe, really believe, that I'm saved by grace alone? Do I really believe that I'm saved by grace alone? And here's why that question is so important for us to ask and answer continually. It's because it's only through the gospel of grace that I can truly be bold and confident without being a jerk. Why? Because my place in God's kingdom is permanently set. Permanently. Paul says that believers are right now already seated in heavenly places with Christ. We're already there. How crazy is that? And there's nothing I can do to improve my position. And there's nothing I can do to ruin it. Nothing. I can be bold with others because I don't have to be insecure about where I stand with God. I know where I stand. And it is only by the gospel of grace that I can be truly humble and understanding with others. Why? Because, yes, my permanent place in God's kingdom is set. It's set. But it was not set by me. It was not set by me or anything I had done. It was set. By Jesus. He put me there. So I have no reason to be puffed up about myself. I have no reason to brag. I have no reason to look down my nose at others. I contributed nothing to my place. I have a permanent place because of Jesus, not because of me. And so this leads me, should lead me to a great amount of humility. Do you see the power of grace? And while we must ask this question of ourselves over and over, do I really believe that I'm saved only by grace? Because if I am, my position is permanently set. It cannot be moved because I did nothing to earn that position. Therefore, I can do nothing to tear it down. And I have no reason to brag about it. (laughs) I didn't do anything. It was grace. Jesus put me there. Not me. It wasn't my church attendance. It wasn't my giving to the poor. It wasn't uh, how many times I served on ministry teams at Life's Journey. Like, none of that mattered. It was all of Jesus, 100% and 0% me. It was a gift. And so now I can be humble and understanding with everybody. You see, you can't just grit your teeth and try really hard to be bold, bold and approachable and humble. You can't do that. You see, because the more, uh, the more you do that, you'll either end up frustrated or you'll end up a Pharisee. You'll end up a self-righteous Pharisee because you think you accomplished something in the end that, ironically, you did not accomplish at all. So you can't just grit your teeth and try to be bold and humble. You can't just try super hard to be like Paul. You can't do it. No, your own efforts won't work. But grace will. Grace will work in you how well the more your heart is moved by the wondrous love and grace of christ the more your heart will automatically produce a character like this automatically you won't even have to try i guess that's why they call it the fruit of the spirit and not the fruit of the flesh Right? because it's simply through your faith in the gospel that the Spirit produces the heart change. The Spirit produces the heart change, not you. You don't have to grit your teeth and try really hard. All you have to do is believe the gospel. And to me, this is really what discipleship is, if you want to boil it down in a nutshell statement. This is what I think it is. I think it's Christians resting in the gospel of grace helping other Christians rest in the gospel of grace. And that's it. That's it. And you see, once you rest in the gospel of grace, the Spirit does all the work. There's no achievements to run after. There's no ladders to climb. It's just resting in the infinite love and grace of Christ. And then the Spirit gets a chance to do the work he was designed to do. Okay, so that's point number one, a radical character. And number two, one characteristic, really good ministers of the gospel should have, is radical love. Let's look at verses 19 through 20. 19 through 20. Radical love. Uh, Paul says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Now, this is kind of bizarre, isn't it? Why is Paul, a grown man, talking like a mother in childbirth? Once again, we don't hear many people talk like this. (laughs) This is pretty unique, isn't it? Paul, is, Paul, a man, is talking about he's having pains like childbirth. Uh, my dad made an interesting confession to me one time when I was a kid. Uh, he said, I don't even know how, why this started, but he said, Son, I love you more than I've ever loved anything in this world. I do. He said, My own love for you is, astonishes me all the time think about you all the time I'm quite frankly a little obsessed with you I I just all my thoughts and affection are towards you I love you and he said "If if it came down to a choice between your life or mine I would give my life for you in a nanosecond I would have no second thoughts whatsoever it would not take me more than a nanosecond to give my life for you that's how much I love you and he said but son I don't love you half as much as your mother does. I don't even love you half as much as your mother does. I can't even understand her love for you. My love doesn't even approach hers. And many of you might totally get that. There's just something really special and unique about a mother's love. It's incredible. It will move mountains. It will do things, miraculous things. Things that we never even dreamed of. A mother's love is truly, truly a gift from our Heavenly Father. And that brings us to Paul. Do you see then what radical love he has for the people in Galatia? He is saying he has a deep mother-like love for these people. How incredible is that? Now, as you might imagine, I don't know much about being a mother, but I do know this. <laughs> I do know this. Mothers are never truly happy and content in life unless their children are happy and content in life. That's a mother's heart. And this is Paul's heart for these people. You see? Paul's heart is troubled because the Galatians are in trouble. But how in the world can you and I develop a love for people this strong, a mother-like love for people who are not our children? How can we do that? Once again, only the gospel of grace can produce a love like this. Because Jesus laid down his life for Paul. Paul was moved to love others in the same way. To lay down his life for them. To lay down his own personal agendas. He can set those to the side. And just fully give himself to the people of Galatia. He has nothing to lose after all, remember? His eternal place is already set and he is confident that he has the eternal love of Christ and that it is unconditional and that there's nothing he can do to lose it. He has no need to become self-consumed because the love and acceptance of Jesus can never be taken from him, ever. No matter how much he sins or screws things up. Because Paul is so confident in Jesus' love, he's free. You see how freeing Jesus' love is? He's free to love others. He doesn't have to be self-consumed. He doesn't have to worry about what he's doing and what his feelings are like. No. No. He has a great understanding of the infinite love of Christ for himself and for the people of Galatia. He gets it. He understands that. And he's so confident in, him, he's, in it, he's free. He's just free. He doesn't have to worry about himself. He can actually worry about others because he's so confident in the love of Christ. Now, what's really interesting is that the Galatians themselves used to have this radical love. Did you catch that? Look at verses 13 through 16. See, they used to have this same kind of love, this radical self-sacrificing love. He says in verse 13, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus Himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Clearly, something has happened to the Galatians. Something's happened. Paul sees a marked difference in them. At one point, they would have been willing to tear their own eyes out for Paul's sake. They treated Paul as if he were Christ Jesus himself. But now, now they are treating Paul as if he's the enemy. What a sad development. How did this happen? What was it? Was it that these new believers discovered the Old Testament or that they heard about Abraham or that they heard about the covenant of circumcision and were fooled? No, no. That's not what happened. What happened is this. The Galatians lost the gospel. They lost it. Or they left it behind. As Paul says boldly, In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Here's what happened. False teachers, uh, who Paul calls the circumcision group, the circumcision group, they entered the Galatian churches and, and convinced the new believers there that simply believing the gospel is not enough. It's not enough. And the circumcision group taught that a person, a Christian, is only acceptable before God through faith in Christ and through strict obedience to the law. that you needed both. You needed grace, yes. You needed faith in Christ, yes. But then you also needed strict obedience to the law. Would you like to know what happens to anyone who replaces grace with a works-based view? They lose their love. They lose their love, and it doesn't take long. They become spiritual porcupines. Their hearts become prickly and cold. And how could they not? How could they not? Every works-based view in the world breeds insecurity and self-righteousness. You see, when everything is riding on your works, you are suddenly under a lot of pressure are you not everything's riding on you and your good works that's a lot of pressure it's hard not to feel it now you might obey you might still obey a good portion of the law but your obedience will become anxious and selfish, anxious and selfish. It's anxious in that you're just never quite sure if you're measuring up, if you're doing enough. That's what makes you anxious. And it's selfish because although you might be obeying God on the outside, you might be doing all the right things on the outside, you're not really doing them for God or for others. You're not. No, you're doing them for you. You're doing them for you. You're doing it because you want peace, acceptance, and blessing from God for yourself. But if you believe the gospel, if you believe that Jesus Christ did all the work for you, Through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that all of his good works are credited to your account by faith. If you believe that, then that produces something totally different. Totally different. It produces obedience rooted in joy and in love. It produces obedience. Yes but obedience rooted in joy and in love. You're still doing the same things on the outside as the religious people are. You look just the same on the outside, but on the inside. Your motives are totally different. They're totally different. You're obeying out of joy and fullness of heart, not out of fear and emptiness of heart. Do you see the difference? There can be two people that sit next to each other at church every Sunday, and they do all the same things, all the same things. All of them, they both give their money. They both serve on a team somewhere. They're both actively involved in a life group. They both rarely miss church. They they both serve the community. But both are doing all of those things for radically different motives. Radically different. One is doing it because they're afraid and they're insecure. And they're trying to earn their way with God. They're trying to earn their acceptance, earn His acceptance and His love. And so they're anxious and afraid. But the other is doing it out of pure love and joy and confidence in Christ. And they just want to delight him. They just want to delight the one who gave his life for them. That's why they're doing all of the things. And they just want to share this message of hope with others. That's why they're doing all the things. It's the same set of things, but the heart behind the, the two sets could not be more different. Unfortunately, most people who come to church and many, many pastors out there have the same view as the circumcision group. They think Christianity is just one more behavior modification program. Don't drink or chew or run with girls who do. That's what they think Christianity is like. And so they might be doing all of the things, all the stuff, but they're doing them because they're afraid, because they're insecure. If you're here tonight and that's what you think Christianity is, I have good news for you. It's not. That's not what Christianity is. No, Christianity is about something far, far better than that. You see, When Paul first came to the Galatians, he was tore up from the floor up. He was. Did you catch in verse 13 what he said? Look at it. Verse 13. 13 and 14. He says, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt Or scorn. So Paul is saying that he had an illness when he first came to the Galatians that was so bad, it was a trial to the Galatians. That's pretty bad. But that's not all. Just one page over in this book, Paul explains that his body is covered in scars. Covered in scars. Scars that he accrued for preaching the gospel. Paul was looking rough, real rough. He was deathly sick and he was cut from head to toe. So the question then for any rational person becomes, why? Why would Paul do all of this? Why would he continue to travel around the world and preach the gospel while deathly ill? Why would he do that? Why would he let himself be subjected to torture and be cut for Jesus. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus was tortured and cut for Paul. Like you and me, Paul was a sinner. He was a sinner, a rebel against God, deserving of punishment from God but in an unfathomable act of love. Jesus Christ stood in Paul's place and took his punishment for him. And you know what? Jesus stood in your place too. He stood in my place too. And he took the punishment from God that I deserved and that you deserved. And now, there is no more punishment left for those who believe. None. There is only love. No more punishment. Only love from your heavenly Father. Jesus took all the punishment so you could get all the love and all the blessings. Don't you see? It was a joy for Paul to serve this God. A joy. It was the thrill of his life to do so. (laughs) This was a joy to serve Jesus, not a duty. Duty will not make anyone subject themselves to torture. But love will. just like a mother's love. A mother would subject herself to the most painful torture and agony for her children. Our Heavenly Father loves us like that. He loves us like that. Our precious Lamb was willing to endure the worst agony in our place because of his great love for us. And this is Christianity. This is Christianity. It is not a behavior modification program. It is a love relationship between the creator and the people that he loves so dearly. People that he died for. You see, Paul willingly and joyfully chose to follow Christ wherever he called him, even if it cost him everything. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 I consider everything a loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. (laughs) That, folks, is the power of love. As the hymn writer would say, How long beneath the law I lay in bondage and distress. I toiled the precept to obey, toiled without success. But to see the law by love fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice, transformed a slave into a child and duty into choice. Let's pray together. Father, your love for us is astounding. It's astounding that you would send your precious son to be tortured and to be cut on our behalf. When we didn't love you, we hated you. And yet, Father, you loved us and desired a relationship with us. (laughs) What can we even say, Father, about a love like that? How can we even respond to a love like that? Father, we are so anxious and stressed about so many things. So many things that don't matter. Please, Father, give us your spirit right now and tomorrow and the day after that. Give us your spirit so that we might rest in your infinite love that we might rest in our position in your kingdom not by anything we have done but by everything your son has done for us Father thank you for your spirit who leads us to the truth who leads us to the cross where true love and be found.